How's it going, everybody? That's right, it's my voice, which means it's time for another wonderful little audio package from the great Aiden Hall. As always, I am your host, and joining me today is a very special guest that we have, fresh off his trip to the GDC. He's got all the wonderful news for us. Ladies and gentlemen, Playboy freelancer, as well as former EIC of our wonderful organization. Without him, I wouldn't have had a job. The wonderful Joseph Noop. Mr. Noop, how are you today? You, you you would have had a job, believe me, and you'll continue to have a job even long after I'm out of the picture. Uh, I'm great, dude. How are you? I, I'm doing well. So when you when you say uh, new little audio package for you, all I, all I can imagine is like all the bite employees uh, dressed in little brown shorts like UPS workers uh, delivering video game goodness. Pretty much. We just we we put on our best little suits and ties and we just drop packages everywhere, throw them at people if we have to. It's our it's our new uh, community management. Bree set that up for us. But GDC, what was it like? Second year I've been there. Better, worse? Yeah, uh, like objectively better uh, in almost every way. And that's not a knock against last year because uh, last year I went with, um, I guess now it would be former uh, features editor Lucas Schmidt, who has since graduated from Ball State, and also uh, Michael Martinez, who I believe has also graduated. Uh, we went last year uh, and kind of guilt tripped our way into media access based on you know our work with Byte at the time and with the uh, the Daily News newspaper. And uh, this year definitely felt like a bit of an upgrade because I had freelancer for Playboy on my badge. and That must that, have been nice. That uh, opens up more doors than you might think. Um, and not in the creepy I work for Playboy way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I uh, was able to um, go for the full week this time as opposed to the last three days when like the main expo floor opened. So I uh, spent basically five full days... Uh, plus change in San Francisco, um, visiting various game development offices like Ubisoft uh, and talking to lots of developers, both AAA and indie, and getting to demo a lot of games and kind of attending a few panels to kind of uh, you know get a get a pulse on what's happening with certain things in the industry, especially uh, virtual reality and. Uh, yeah, I uh, it was an incredibly busy week. I experienced the uh, entire gamut of uh, human emotion, uh, <laughs> and I've I, I walked in, uh, you know, feeling incredibly overwhelmed and inspired, and then I left feeling incredibly overwhelmed and inspired. And I guess that's all that matters. All right, so you know, you you were very vocal on Facebook about all the wonderful things you got to do. What were some of the most memorable parts of GDC for you? Well, I can give you the most uh, memorable, which is uh, the GDC Choice Awards. I, uh, I'll just so this is a story itself. So strap in, folks. Oh boy. Um, so GDC is, as you can imagine, especially as a young freelancer for places like Playboy, PC Gamer, uh, working on a Polygon thing. Like I, I meet a lot of uh, very passionate, talented people who have either you know been doing it longer than me or uh, do things in a different maybe. Uh, maybe more talented way than me and uh by wednesday uh of gdc week uh the good old imposter syndrome had been hitting me hard and if you're not familiar with imposter syndrome it's basically like you know everyone's gonna d discover one day that like you have no idea what you're doing uh despite the fact that maybe you have been working really hard at your craft for all this time uh so 
by Wednesday, I was just like an emotional wreck. Uh, and I could barely like contain my, my just, uh, depression at the idea of like, uh, everyone, every journalist I've met is like so much better than me. There's no way I deserve to be here because I'm like letting down some of my editors. Some of my stories had to come back for heavy edits, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I, I really enjoyed going to last year's GDC Choice Awards where they hand out, you know, like best game of the year, best innovation, uh, ambassador award, lifetime achievement, stuff like that. And last year was interesting, not just for it being the first GDC, my first GDC, but also they, it was a, like right in the heat of Gamergate. So uh, hearing lots of big name developers speak out against, you know, hate and harassment was really inspiring. So I was like, hmm, I wonder... I wonder what what could happen this year to top that or to match it at least. And I was seriously considering not going because um, pretty much all my journalism friends uh, said that they weren't. They were, you know, just going to go out, have a drink and, and, you know, kind of gallivant the night away. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, it's whatever. No one will come with me. I'll be all alone. I uh, almost didn't go. But for some reason, found myself in that massive uh, ballroom at the Moscone Center and uh, was like 50 rows back, uh, you know, s surrounded by people who I had no idea who they were, random indie developers or students or something. And uh, to, make a, to make a long story short, there were two moments in the award show that were just incredibly inspiring. The first one was... Uh, Tracy Fullerton, who is the chairperson of uh, University of so uh, SoCal's game design program, I forget the exact title, but uh, she's been doing, she's been teaching and designing games for like the last 20, 25 years of her life or something. She's, uh, games literally helped her get through a cancer scare, stuff like that. Um, and she, she's also the person who taught Genova Chen, who created Journey. Uh, and so she got her like lifetime service award uh, and had this rousing emotional speech uh, about wanting to, uh, you know, expand our understanding of the world through games uh, and, and how much it meant to just be a part of, of bringing these worlds to new people and allowing them to express themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And she was, you know, choking through her own tears the entire time. And that that really hit me right in the gut. I was like, "That's that's something I want to be. I want to be the Tracy Fullerton of uh, of games journalism because I feel like you know games journalism plays a role in helping us understand the context surrounding games culture." Then the last moment was uh, they just like the Oscars, they do a kind of in memoriam video of all the developers who died uh, throughout the year, the notable ones anyway. I'm sure there are others. Uh, people like Terry Pratchett, who had a hand, you know, famous sci-fi fantasy author who had a hand in a few really prolific adventure games back in the day. Um, and his daughter writes for lots of video game companies now. And uh, obviously last year, um, Satoru Iwata, the former president of Nintendo, died really unexpectedly at the age of 55 from uh, some, you know, throat issue that he had that like, you know, uh, just caused his body to shut down. And, uh, his, his was the very last portion of that in memoriam video. And instead of it just being like a slide set to, you know, soft music, uh, it was this entire like two and a half minute long video 
um, that was animated. It was basically kind of like aping the style of the first 10 minutes of uh, Pixar's Up. And uh, just this emotionally devastating uh, depiction of his life going from a lowly programmer uh, with like Kirby and stuff like that at HAL Laboratories and uh, going all the way to, you know, leading Nintendo and helping to create the DS and the Wii controller and um, having him send up all these ideas up into, uh, you know, the sky for people to, you know, have for themselves. And the final balloon, you can watch the video, obviously, the final thing he did was he took one of the, these idea bubbles and he grabbed onto it like a balloon with a little string and he floated up into, you know, quote unquote heaven and people and like everyone playing their Nintendo DS or like your grandma, uh, you know, playing Wii Bowling, like looked up at him as he floated away. And they ended with uh, one of his more famous quotes, he, which he gave back in 2005, uh, talking about, you know, someone had asked him, what's it like to kind of be running this company now? Uh, does it ever feel like you're you're not as attuned to the industry or something like that? And the full quote is, uh, on my business card, I'm a uh, corporate executive. In my mind, I'm a game developer. In my heart, I am a gamer. Uh, and they they put a, they displayed that in my heart, I am a gamer bit. So just imagine me with all these emotions, feeling like a fake, feeling, uh, you know, like my, despite the fact that I'm writing for Playboy and Polygon and PC gamers being like, oh man, I don't belong here. Seeing that and seeing that kind of like just encapsulate the the spirit of what games really mean uh, was just emotionally devastating. I, I, and I don't use this word lightly, I literally had tears streaming down my face and my throat was, my throat was, you know, quivering. Uh, and that I, I walked out of that ballroom just like, Jesus, I am in the right place. And I, I think I've rediscovered that in this short span of time. Very awesome. So GDC obviously had a bit of a theme this year with VR and VR being the biggest, you know, thing that seemed to be mentioned at all. Mm -hmm. Was there anything there VR wise that really wowed you or gave you hope for VR in the industry? Well, the, the thing with VR has always been, um, no one can quite understand it until they uh, they experience it, right? It's uh, I don't have you ever used VR? I haven't, not yet. It's it's quite an interesting experience because they're they're when you try to talk about it, it's like, well, what words do I use to describe this sense of being there? And yeah, uh, so GDC um, this year started a secondary um, portion of the event called VR DC, you know, for developers of VR. And lots of lots of additional panels. Uh, they broke attendance records largely because of uh, all of the new people who came in because of VR stuff. And um, uh, having having played a few new games, both on the PlayStation VR and the Oculus, um, the it, it's just so incredible to see like these experiences continually grow and get fleshed out and um i have i have no doubt that like maybe the first six months or maybe even a year's worth of vr experiences might be these um modest these more modest offerings like people kind of call them extended demos or 
or, or you know, tech demos or just kind of interactive movie stuff. And that is true. But I think that we see uh, we see a ton of that every generation with uh, even just your various home consoles. I remember people gave uh, the PlayStation 4 a little bit of uh, grief because Knack, one of the first games that came out with it, was basically just like a pointless kind of tech demo for their particle physics because that was like the coolest thing the game had going for it it was just you know a boring slog otherwise and uh so i really do think vr is the future um and i think that we're already starting to see the companies kind of approach it in a way that is different than any other peripheral they've tried to shove off on us like you know the playstation move or the connect uh and it's really just about keeping that support for it going because once any one person tries it they're hooked so uh i played maybe five or six vr games throughout the week although there were so many vr games there that like some of my other friends who were there exclusively for vr said that they had spent like over 20 combined hours in vr throughout the week so you think you think about like you know having to switch between vr and real life you know coming back to the convention center just being like oh my god this feels so weird but um i do you want me to talk about uh kind of the specific games and such yeah absolutely go into as much detail as you want what well first what was your preference did you get to do oculus and the new playstation or was it just oculus um so i've i had demoed oculus games before but i i got to try out some new demos on the oculus rifts uh this this year like uh chronos which is a uh oculus launch title coming up in like two or three weeks whenever that launches uh made by the same team who did darksiders uh but i also did get to play playstation vr for the first time with their rigs like mechanized sports ball demo thing um, I did not get a chance to do the HTC Vive, which is being developed by Valve, and I really haven't ever used uh, Samsung Gear VR, which is the mobile kind of slimmed down version of all that. But um, so it, it's interesting. Um, I actually attended a panel where a developer who had happened to work on all four of them uh, was kind of. Uh, describing the various pluses and minuses of each platform. And uh, I'm very curious to see how well PlayStation VR does because they, you think about it, uh, the argument of, well, if you get the Oculus, you have to have a very powerful PC to run it, especially with the HTC Vive. It's even more uh, power hungry. Um, The PlayStation VR runs on a PlayStation 4, uh, it's the same disparity between any console and PC, you know, in terms of graphics or fidelity, but they have 35 million PlayStation 4 units sold already. And that's, and, and all you need to do is fork over four or $500 for the VR headset and camera and Bob's your uncle. But so I played, um, I played Kronos on Oculus Rift by the Darksiders team. And that's this, that, Oddly enough, might have been my favorite title, Walking Away, despite the fact that like it's not up my alley at all. Um, the only way I can describe it is like it's like Eco meets um, Dark Souls Light. Uh, it's not quite as... Uh, Wait, Eco you know, the Dolphin? No, uh, Eco, Ico. Uh, oh, okay, Ico. 
do the kids pronounce it Ico? I think it's uh, Ico, yeah. Okay, I, I, yeah. You I was about to say, I'm imagining this little dolphin swimming around fighting <laughs> all these Dark Souls bosses. Uh, if only. That'll be one day. Um, but yeah, it, so Ico meets Dark Souls Lights, um, kind of this sword swashbuckling kind of adventure. You you wake up, your character wakes up in uh, in like a craggy little waterlogged cave and I was adventuring through this area and suddenly it kind of like just shifts into uh, what looks like kind of a World War II or 1960s era bunker um, with like, you know, space race age computers sitting around. So it's like, you're going through this castle, but at the same time, there's like all this technology from like the 60s lying around. And in the city, what looks like spires are the developer talking in my ear the whole time um, was like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's like modern skyscrapers and stuff. So the game, I, I wasn't able to learn too much about uh, about the nature of the story, but suffice to say that there's some sort of time skipping element and uh, such and such. And I think the coolest thing about the game itself was that it's not the typical VR experience in that you like either have a first person like cockpit view or even just a traditional third person camera view. It's more like a, uh, it's more like a uh, resident evil, old school, old school resident evil camera angle tricks where like you walk into a new room and, uh, uh, the camera will switch to kind of a, a seemingly random location, like a corner of the ceiling, you know. And that does this weird thing where I can look around totally divorced from my character and kind of gain a bigger appreciation for the environment I'm walking through that I'm exploring and kind of like, you know, immediately look behind me for anything cool. Uh, and I can still control the character, you know, while I'm not even looking. Um, so... Like one instance, I would be like looking up a gigantic mine shaft. I would kind of like lean over and just peer my head up uh, while my character walked, you know, right to left. And probably the most interesting bit was like the developer would stop me as I walked into one particular room. And he's like, okay, look to your right. And I would look to my right and it's just bathed in shadow. But in the middle of all that were two glowing beady eyes. Uh, and that's an enemy. That's a goblin that, you know, is like hunting you and you would never have thought to look, uh, especially in VR because your brain is so trained to kind of like always be on your guy, you know, uh, on the character that you're following. So it was just a weird mix of like tough tactical combat, um, with, with just like really, uh, environmental storytelling, um, very impressive stuff there. And I got a, not exclusive, but like kind of a uh, set, I had a demo set up with Ubisoft because uh, I was writing for my friend at Upload VR, which is a very uh, popular VR enthusiast site um, about Ubisoft's Werewolves Within. And that's, that was one of my more favorite experiences too, because uh, have you... Have you ever played uh, Avalon Mafia or like one of those subterfuge games where you're lying to your friends? Yeah, I played. Um, I think it was Coup. Coup was the one I played. Yeah, something like that. So basically, the concept being that you know a group of your friends will sit around. One is secretly assigned the bad guy role, and the other four or three or whoever have to, you know, ask 
each other questions and be like, are you lying? I think you're lying. I think you're a bad liar or maybe you're a good liar and you're, uh, you know, trying to throw everyone off your trail. So Werewolves Within, which is made by this, oddly enough, by the same team who had a hand in like the division, uh, the crew and stuff like that. Uh, it's just you and a minimum of four other players, a max of like eight uh, sitting around, like, say, a campfire in the middle of a gypsy caravan, and the story being that, like, you know, you, your town is under siege by werewolves, and you suspect that one of you uh, is the werewolf. And uh, you you either play as a villager or one of the werewolf, uh, a werewolf or one of his allies, like the deviant or the turncloak. And every person gets, like, special abilities to kind of help give them clues as to who each person really is. So uh, the coolest thing is like, like you're in the game. It's still that feeling of you being there in VR, but you have an avatar. So like my character was this kind of eye patch piratey looking guy, uh, totally, you know, looked like me. Uh, and uh, the camera that comes with the Oculus, and I believe that they're releasing it on a, they've set a variety of consoles or platforms. Um, so like if I turned my head to look at someone, they would see me looking at them, like intentionally looking at them and the facial animations and the body animations that they uh, implemented were so well done. So like if you, if you talk really timidly, your hands kind of only move a little bit. Like I had one of my fellow journalists, you know, in the middle of the game, someone accused him of being a werewolf and he just said, Oh no no I'm I'm just a regular regular villager and his character looked timid uh but when someone would like really get into it and be like no damn it I'm not the I'm not the uh werewolf their arms would throw up and they would like look really intense and enthusiastic about whatever they were saying and uh you you really got this sense of like there's a character looking at you dead in the eye. So for example, I had the ability, I was the the quote watcher um, villager, and my special abilities. If I stare at someone long enough, uh, I'll get two clues as to who they might be. And I tried doing that while someone was distracted, and that person caught me and looked across the campfire, and their character looked me straight in the eye. And they said, hey, Joe, why are you uh, why are you looking at me so hard, huh? And it was such a weird feeling of like I'm looking at uh, the character was like a, a tavern wench with like, you know, a, a typical tavern wench clothes. She's kind of got like a barmaid outfit on. But there's this man's voice coming out of it. And uh, it was just like there's someone talking to me like I'm in the room with this. French developer who's halfway across the world uh, and it, it's just so amazing. It, it completely recreates the idea of sitting around the table with buddies and kind of being able to reach out to them and like point and say, you know, Jacques, you are the, the werewolf, stuff like that. And that was a super good experience. I wrote about that for Upload VR. Um, if anyone can, if anyone wants to check it out, it's on my Twitter. It's on uh, all that jazz. Other than that, um, what other VR did I stop play? A couple of like show floor demos that were like super simple stuff that, you know, people more, more or less trying to sell their game. There was surprisingly enough. Um, are you, are you aware of Allison road? Sounds familiar, but not, 
not terribly. So Allison Road, uh, kind of like a weird trajectory here. Um, I Allison Road is like a popular upcoming indie horror game. Kind of, it's called been it's been called the spiritual successor to PT, which you know was Kojima and Guillermo del Toro's horror thing for Silent Hills. Um, going off of that, uh, the Unreal Engine had a VR lounge area with like ten different VR demos set up, and for one of them, they had the HTC Vive uh, playing the this game based off of Paranormal Activity. And uh, the HTC Vive has in-room scale tracking. So it means like if you have kind of an empty-ish living room, you can walk 10, 15 feet ahead and, you know, interact with stuff um, instead of just kind of sitting in a chair and looking around or using a controller. And I thought, like my immediate impression, you couldn't see the game being played smartly. They had no TV up there giving away what the scares were. Uh, my immediate impression was like, that looks kind of like a cheap ripoff of Alice and Road because it's just, you know, or PT because it's just, uh, you know, scary horror girl hunting you down in a quiet house, whatever. Uh, but I saw people and I heard my friends um, who are seasoned game players uh, say that like they, they play this game and they walked around and during like the penultimate scare or something like that, they they literally screamed and like tried to rip the headset off. It was that scary. Oh, wow. And and these are like grown men uh, who have played tons of horror games. have seen some, you know, jacked up stuff in video games, but because the HTC Vive pulls such an amazing job of, you know, putting you in there when, (laughs) when Samara jumps out at you or something like that, uh, it gets you to your core. So yeah, VR was definitely an amazing experience. The PSVR was a good uh, good time, too. I played the Riggs uh, mechanized sports ball. You run around, you shoot uh, other enemy mechs, and you try to collect orbs and kind of do like a, a slam dunk in this hoop by jumping through it with your robot and scoring points for your team. Um, oh, that was at the Paris Game Show. Yeah, yeah, probably. Or uh, PlayStation Experience, wherever that was. And... Uh, that was pretty good too. Um, I'm I'm still debating. I it's like, man, I gotta save up so much money if I want to jump in on any of these. But I feel like PlayStation VR for its accessibility and price and Oculus for its power uh, might be the way I'm gonna go. I gotcha. So there was one thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, you talked about having all these hours clocked in on VR and everything. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any health problems? having such connection to it um you know it's it it feels like it's going to be the same thing that games have had forever every every game these days uh starts with a little warning you know if you have a seizure condition or epilepsy uh you know consult a doctor um especially for like the more visually frenetic games um i personally didn't experience any uh like vr sickness or motion sickness or anything like that um I, uh, and and I played some like very motion heavy games like Ubisoft's Eagle Flight, which lets you kind of like fly around Paris as an eagle. And that was a really good experience too. But, um, the only thing I can really say that was maybe unique to VR or at least noticeable about it other than typical, like if you already had a sensitivity to, you know, watching a TV screen for a long time, um, some of my friends who, you know, spent 16, 20 hours uh, 
over the week playing VR uh, said that after a certain point, you know, like three hours worth of demos back and forth, uh, they did kind of get a feel of like uh, when you take the headphones off and you come back to that different like visual perspective, you know, your eyes are reacclimating to the light, to the sense of scale and stuff like that. Uh, they, they did kind of feel like a little tired, a little exhausted. Um, but who knows if that's just like the crazy demo experience of, you know, being on a show floor with, you know, people screaming left and right and, uh, lots of, you know, uh, foot traffic and stuff. So I don't think it will cause anyone too much of a, too much of a pain or misery. If you're the kind of person who freaks out in a movie theater uh, or, you know, can't watch a movie without welding goggles because, you know, you have a seizure condition or something like that. It's the same exact uh, situation. Consult a doctor, um, play it safe, acclimate yourself slowly at a time, 30 minutes at a time, something like that. Uh, and really the funniest thing is just, you know, you, you, you wear an Oculus Rift for five hours and go figure you have these like massive red stripes on your cheeks uh, because you had, you, you had a plastic block strapped to your face so you kind of like looked like you slept on your hand wrong you know i gotcha so you know i got two more questions for you cool um first let's players how do you think let's players might integrate vr technology and would it be the same experience since you're looking around and you're being you know immersed into this game how do you think it would affect such a booming industry right now that's actually a good question. Um, I don't know if I've seen too many people ruminate on it because it's either you know something we haven't thought about or something that maybe I feel like I feel like the answer to that might just be uh, we'll have to wait a little bit for let's players and let's player communities to kind of adopt that so widespread as the so like uh, with PSVR or something or with like YouTube app integration or something. Um, Maybe in a year or two, we'll see VR being so prolific and so widespread that uh, we will see Let's Players like export videos that like are just are just VR experiences. So like you're there, maybe in the game with them, and like in the bottom right of your vision, you can you know see their little their little window recording them like like a Markiplier style thing. Uh, I mean, you, you do already see plenty of, uh, let's players kind of tossing on some Oculus DK twos and, uh, going through some of the scarier horror games or just horror demos. And yeah, it's crazy. Cause like you, you get an idea of like they're in the game, they're getting like even more scared than usual. But, uh, I think that would be a really cool end goal, end goal to shoot for is like you're in the game with them maybe and that just ramps up the idea that let's players have been selling for years now which is uh i'm going to experience this game through this personality that i like almost like you know talk radio and uh i'm gonna get that extra level of being there with them and kind of sharing in that community that's a that, that's a good question though i'd be super serious to see if anyone's either written about it or spoken about it or just kind of you know uh, you know, had a rant to say about it. I getcha. And now the final question, most important question of the entire thing. 
Sword Art Online. Best VR experience ever made or will be made or yes, yes, or yes. You know, I, I thought about, I, I referenced Sword Art Online in some conversation I had with a VR developer. And I uh, thank God they got the reference because I would have been just like, oh, God, I'm such a dork. And I watch anime. And uh, <laughs> it's it's fascinating to think about VR as that next step towards that stereotypical example of uh, Sword Art Online or uh, Dot Hack or uh, Ghost in the it's... Shell or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or even what's that Ernest Cline novel, um, Ready Player One kind of. Oh stuff like yeah, that. I I know people have feelings about that book, but um, uh, I I am super fascinated to see where VR takes us because it feels so unlike any other trend in gaming like the connect or like playstation move or like the eye toy back in like the ps2 days you know uh those those peripherals were put out there as like this hey we have some venture capital and we really want to like you know there seems to be a market for people who like to waggle around in their living room and you know do just dance 50 times a day uh but uh having that experience of like in werewolves within talking to another player like through their avatar and actually being able to hold a uh, a totally honest conversation like and, and even with uh, werewolves within i forgot to mention there was like a whisper mechanic where like if you and another player who happened to be sitting next to each other wanted to have a private conversation that no one could hear all you had to do was like get their attention any way you wanted and uh, lean, you both lean in and the audio channels are cut off from the other players so all they hear is like little whisper sounds and I I shared secret information with uh, another player so that sense of like oh my gosh I'm really in a room talking to this like French Ubisoft developer uh, uh, just and, and he's kind of like helping me along the way like lie to everybody or you know try to figure out who the liar is and then just the the stuff of like being in an Oculus or a PlayStation VR, it's God so impossible to describe. But I really do feel like now that Sword Art Online or Ghost in the Shell is like we're one major step closer to you know it's almost a scary thought, but like I could ostensibly lie on my bed for a couple hours in VR and. Yeah, my body isn't being transported to the game world like Sword Art Online. I'm not like leaping from uh, from point A to point B with my full body, but uh, I I am in a world with real other people, uh, and that that means something. So I I I I sound like a future evangelist, you know, but it's it's impossible to experience it's impossible to describe until you experience it yourself and that's what any person who's ever tried vr will tell you i guarantee it and uh this really does feel like the future of gaming and it, it was a very smart choice of by gdc organizers to include so much of it this year all right awesome is there anything you'd like to promote or talk about or get out there um yeah i mean I, uh, you can obviously follow me on Twitter at Joseph Noop, J-O-S-E-P-H-K-N-O-O-P. Um, I'm writing some big stories based on content I found at GDC uh, that will be in Playboy maybe in the coming uh, month or two. Um, for example, I'm doing a story about how virtual reality is impacting journalism. 
So obviously if there's like Ball State journalism students uh, checking this out, uh, check out Nani Della Pina, N-O-N-N-Y, De La Pina. She's She's got these crazy VR simulations that based on like real world news stories, um, like Syrian bombings and stuff like that. Uh, I'm doing a story on her work. Uh, I'm also doing a story for Polygon uh, that I hope doesn't fall through for any reason about ageism in gaming. The One of the coolest facts I learned about uh, at GDC from this uh, Miami University's uh, or this Miami University professor's talk was uh, how much, Aiden, how many uh developers in the games industry do you think are over the age of 50 like give me a percentage how many over, do you think over oh, 50 years old how many hmm. of them do you think are over 50 years old honestly i'd say closer to like 65 70 like 65 percent you would say are over the age of 50 yeah you're dramatically wrong dramatically one percent of all developers in the games industry are over 50 years old one percent one one i thought like if they stayed in the industry all these years like way back from the atari days they might still right right and i mean that and that's certainly like you think about all the major players that you see like uh amy hennig or tim schaefer i don't i actually don't know tim schaefer might be yeah over 50 but he's getting uh, on in years yeah and and people like that you think about like all those big names uh, those legendary icons who may or may not still be making games, and you think about like, oh yeah, clearly, clearly, games have been around since the the seventies. Uh, this industry is old enough that like, yeah, there clearly should be like this this large number of seasoned older developers. And actually, like the business being as ruthless as it is. Uh, there's a huge trend of age discrimination in game development. Um, a, a developer by the name of David Mullich, who I'm hopefully interviewing here soon for this story, has written before about uh, he has like major, major games to his name. I can't remember exactly which. I think like some famous strategy stuff like Civilization and things like that. But um, He'd, he'd been in the industry for years, and when he was laid off, as you know, some companies, even bigger ones, you know, will happen. Uh, he applied to various places. You know, he had the credits, he had the professionalism to say, like, I will support you. I won't jump ship. No one would hire him, and the reason that they would always give is like, we don't think you'll fit in with uh, the culture we're cultivating here. And people can read into that what they want. To to me personally, it's kind of indicative of. San Francisco, young white male tech culture, which is, you know, a lot of venture capital, a lot of young white men in offices. And it's hard for, you know, female or LGBT people to break through. But like, it's even just as hard for uh, not necessarily elderly, but just incredibly seasoned uh, developers to break through. And it's, it's just a stunning kind of fact that like, like you said yourself, you were, you were kind of guessing in that 60, 70% range. And I, I might've said the same thing too. I, I don't know. But like when I was, when I learned that, I was like, Jesus, that is, that is small. Like maybe that accounts for less than a thousand developers or less than maybe 500 people in the, in the entire industry. Uh, that's crazy. And, and there's, there's all this data that I talked about with this professor about the kinds of games that um, older players are really uh, 
asking for. It's not brain age games. There's actually research to show that like those brain age games on the Nintendo DS do jack all for uh, your mind or your mental well-being. And I'm doing a big story on that for Polygon, hopefully. Um, and it's it's quite incredible to learn about all that. And that's that's one of those things that you could only learn by going to GDC. You know, um, I I just wrote up a small blog uh, last night, kind of talking about the Satori that my experiences with the Satori Wada video and you know imposter syndrome. And uh, if I mean, if any journalism students. Uh, or just young games writers are listening to this. Uh, I'll tell you what Charlie Hall or Char- Charlie Hall from uh, Polygon told me uh, almost two years ago. Don't go to E3. It's a bit harder to get in, and it's just a marketing thing. Um, maybe go to PAX because it's so fan based, but definitely, definitely go to GDC because there is no other event like it in the world, even for journalists, even though it's like, you know, designed for developers to network and stuff, because like you will, you are surrounded by 27,000. That was the attendance number 20. You were surrounded by 27,000 other people, uh, who are all incredibly smart, incredibly passionate and love the medium in ways that like no average, uh, person can put into words. And, uh, that does something to your brain that, that, that like for a time it might make you feel like, Oh man, I'm just a joke. I don't belong here, but it's really just all about like getting over yourself and, uh, shaking some hands and introducing yourself. And yeah, maybe some interactions will be awkward. I got to meet Shuhei Yoshida and shake his hand, uh, the president of Sony computer entertainment. But, uh, uh, I met so many amazing like students who you know were just cracking into the industry. I met people who had been like working for Riot Games for years, uh, people who'd worked on massive AAA stuff. I'd met Ubisoft developers who've been doing this for like 20, 30 years. Uh, it's just a mecca of inspiration if you really believe in what games can be. And that's all I can really say, yeah. Awesome. Well... You know, this has been uh, a GDC look-in with Joseph Noop. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, as always, I've been Aiden Hall, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody.